Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. I think that's one of the hardest things about baseball, but also um, one of the easiest is that we play every day. So there's no time to, you know, in football, they play once a week. So if you have a really bad game, you're sitting around for a week waiting to, you know, have another chance. Whereas, you know, these guys are going to be in the batter's box tomorrow at 7 o'clock ready to go. So, you know, we're just waiting for that that big stretch. And we've kind of been waiting for that all year. And, you know, is it going to happen? I don't know. I hope it does. I hope it starts tomorrow. But we can't keep sitting back and waiting on that. we got to go now, and um, we need a little bit more sense of urgency. That was Toronto Blue Jays starter Kevin Gossman talking after last night's loss to the Baltimore Orioles uh, using the phrase sense of urgency, which is always kind of... I wouldn't say it's concerned me, but it's always... Whenever I hear a pitcher coming off a good performance... Uh, in a, a performance when his hitters haven't backed him up and he hasn't necessarily received much in the way of defensive support, and I hear him say a sense of urgency, I kind of think, okay, that's uh, that's a message that was meant to be delivered. Uh, hello and welcome to Blair and Barker. I am Jeff Blair. Kevin Barker is uh, on assignment. I think he's in Woodstock, Ontario tonight. The meet and greet with uh, Hazel before a uh, Canadian baseball tournament so uh i do believe mr barker will be back on monday but uh at this particular time filling the seat of kevin barker admirably is madison shipman of uh blue jay central madison thanks so much for dropping in today into our uh, lovely spaceship well thank you studio. thank you for having me i'm gonna do my best kevin barker impression well, that I from, possibly can. Well, I don't, we were talking about it. You're from Knoxville. Barker's from Virginia. Caleb's from Nashville as well. So I don't, th- I don't think there's... Something about the eastern part of the United States. We like to flock our way up to Toronto, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah, yeah that's fine. You, you, don't, you don't have to try to fill in for Kevin. You don't have to try to replace <laughs> Kevin about that. Uh, the man is uh, irreplaceable. Um, so like I, before we talk about the Blue Jays, I mean, the big story in baseball today, obviously, is Shohei Otani uh, having a torn UCL. He's not going to be able to pitch the rest of the year. He will play uh, for the rest of the year. And, and this, of course, I haven't figured out yet, Madison, whether this makes the offseason less complicated when it comes to Shohei Otani or it makes it more complicated. But, it, you know... When I look at the injury and when I kind of think about everything Shohei Otani has done so far, and you're someone who's played sport at the highest level, my first reaction is I almost feel guilty because we've spent a lot of time saying, who's going to be the next Shohei Otani? Who's going to be the next double threat? And I'm just kind of wondering... Maybe we just shouldn't expect that because clearly this is a second surgery. Uh, he's had Tommy John. 
he may just be doing something he's not supposed to be doing. Yeah, it's not easy to go out there and do what he does at such an elite level every single time. And and you almost kind of take for granted what he does every single night because he does it so consistently. And uh, my heart just broke when I read that this morning because he's such an elite-level athlete, and you knew that right around the trade deadline you could tell that the Angels were trying to make a push to possibly keep Otani mm-hmm. for years to come um, by loading up as much as they possibly could. So to see him have that injury and take away such a crucial part of his game too. Um, but you often wonder that maybe if he does, if he is able to come back after this season, of course, just going to the hitting side of things, would he be better served in more of a closing role to where mm-hmm. he's not having to physically throw as much or will we see him more in the outfield a little bit more? I do think it does complicate the whole Otani after this season a little bit. Uh, when it comes to, I, I know a lot of conversations have been going around about is the money going to be different now that he's had this second injury mm-hmm. to this throwing arm? He's still, no matter where you look at it, he's still an elite level hitter. So that's obviously going to push him up towards the top. But the two-way part of his game was also the intriguing factor. So I do hope that he's able to get back to that point. I do think it complicates things a ton, but just really tough uh, to see Shohei Otani with that injury. Yeah, I think back to a conversation, Kevin, uh, that that we had with Ned Coletti, the former Dodgers GM, and we were talking about Shohei Otani, and this was this was last year, I think, and we were sort of looking ahead to what may happen. And one of the points Ned made was he said, "Look, it, Shohei Otani is a unicorn, right? He is he's one of a kind. You bring a one of a kind player like him into your team, it's going to impact." how you handle your other pitchers. He's got his own certain program. You're going to have to get buy-in from your other pitchers. You're going to have to get buy-in from your existing training staff. You're probably going to have to go out and hire more people because you're dealing with some of you. You don't just bring Shohei Otani in and say, okay, here's Shohei Otani. You guys take care of him. You, you have to structure things around him. And Ned's point was it's not that's why he thought it would be hard for him to be traded in midseason because you just don't bring Shohei Otani into a pre-existing situation and say, okay, go get him. I'm wondering if you think that this, you know, this injury now, this has complicated it as well because you are, you would have to sort of retool things to accommodate him. Now you're going to have to retool things to accommodate a unicorn who's rehabbing at the same time. And uh, it, you know, it almost makes me think that the the angels are sitting there looking at this obviously they're upset that Shohei Otani's hurt but i wonder if they're not looking at this as thinking you know we got everything in place for him here we know how to treat him he knows what he's getting here part of me thinks it almost increases the likelihood that he ends up staying with the angels there there is uh the familiarity and the comfortability with being around uh organization that you are familiar with having to go through what he's probably going to have to go through at the end of the season too so to your point I, i i can definitely see that from a competitive standpoint if i'm any other organization you'd love to have even just the offensive numbers be able to bolster your team now i understand that there's the other things that come with it too but you're seeing such an elite level player on both sides that I would, if I'm any other organization, I would love to have somebody right. like that on your team to help you obviously win a World Series. Let's bring the uh, focus back to the Blue Jays. They will take on the Orioles today at 7.05. First pitch on Sportsnet 590, the fan of Sportsnet. Weather looks okay. There may be some interruption due to rain, but it certainly doesn't look as bad as it did about six hours ago when I looked at the radar. Um, I want to 
touch on what Kevin Gossman said. Look, I, it, it's one of the oddities of baseball. You you do end up running into situations where you have an elite level pitcher. And for whatever reason, the team doesn't score for him. I mean, he's got his run support is the worst in the majors. Uh, last night, I think we could say that was coupled by the fact that the Jays did not play well defensively. Is this just fluke? And and did you did you think maybe in what are we starting to hear a little bit of frustration on the part of Kevin Gossman? I don't doubt that it's frustration. I think that if you're any player, whether it's a pitcher or a position player, you're frustrated with the fact that they've not been able to get that consistent offensive production that they've really been looking for all season long. I do think it's sort of a a fluke thing that Mm -hmm. he's not getting the offensive production because he's still able to go out there and and pitch at such an incredibly high level knowing that he's got more pressure on his shoulders too because when you look at the stats, they haven't been able to put up the run support. Um, I almost look at it, too, from an offensive standpoint going, they know those numbers, they know that they're not producing, so they're probably putting too much pressure on themselves up at the plate to try to get something done for Kevin Gosman. And last night, that's what it looked like to me. It looked like a team that was playing not to lose rather than a team that was playing to win. Now, you look back two games ago, the first game against the Orioles, I thought they looked like they were going out there playing to Mm -hmm. win. They were aggressive. They were swinging early in the count. We saw them make fantastic defensive plays. I still have that play of Bo rolling on repeat in my mind. And another underrated play, too, was Whit Merrifield charging that ground ball and throwing it over to first base. Those are the types of aggressive plays that you see from a team that's going out there playing to win. Last night, you saw them be much more on their heels, even from the start of the game. That one ground ball that went over to Vladdy, bounced off of his glove. It's never a good sign when the first play of the game isn't made. And it it puts more pressure on the pitcher, too. So hats off to Kevin Gosman for the way that he was able to pitch, knowing that they didn't have their top game defensively. Obviously, offensively, they've had their struggles, too. Uh, It's still just an odd thing to me that every single time he goes out there, you can kind of expect that He's not going to get a ton of run support, but it all comes back to the mentality of them just trying to do too much. I feel like we've heard a lot of the Mm -hmm. players talk about not trying to do too much, but it just seems to come back and haunt them every single time Gosman's spot in the rotation comes up. So we saw this team have, we've talked about the Jays' approach. They had a great approach in a series against Boston, swept the Red Sox at Fenway Park. John Schneider said, hey, one of the first times I've seen this team have a team approach. Then they go into Cleveland, run into some good pitching. They lose a couple of one-run games, close games, whatever. Sunday in Cincinnati, they break out. And the first game of the Orioles series, extra innings, they swing at the first, they swing in the first pitch, four, four batters in a row. Home run, double. I mean, it's it it just seemed so, as you said, the approach just seems so simple, so relaxed. Then we saw what happened last night where they, I think they had a runner, one runner in scoring position the entire night in the first inning. How much of that was, to your mind, was, oh, here we go again, that that old, if they've fallen back into their old ways, or how much of it was just that Dean Kramer really pitched well and was particularly effective up in the zone last night? 
A little bit of both. I, I did think that Dean Kramer's cutter in particular, that to me was the difference maker in that pitch. It had some really good late movement on it to where as a batter, when you see that pitch coming in there, you go to attack with your barrel angle and right at the last minute it moves. And that's when you see a lot of the weak mm-hmm. ground balls that we did last night. And he was in the zone with that pitch around 60% of the time too. So that's that's pretty good. It's forcing them to have to swing at those pitches. And early in the game, really the first inning, I thought they had a pretty good approach, maybe be trying to run up the pitch count you saw mm-hmm. them go six seven pitches in the bats trying to run up that pitch count early but then maybe you have a couple of at bats the one that sticks out to me is that vladdy at bat in the first inning too yeah. where he's swinging at pitches that are just not good pitches to go after when you're in hitters counts and uh, obviously talking from a very much a hitter's perspective because that's what I did when I played. I always tried to remember that at the end of the day, it didn't matter how good of a pitcher that was out there on the mound. They still had to throw the ball into the same strike zone as everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I had to remind myself of that because sometimes you can make too much of a pitcher, whether it's the movement on their pitches, the velocity, the change in speeds, whatever it might be. At the end of the day, they still have to throw it into that strike zone. And sometimes it looked like you saw the Blue Jays chasing at pitches, trying to force things to happen rather than with that still aggressive mentality. You want to take hacks at pitches that are in the strike zone, but making him work out there. And at times it felt like the Blue Jays were very easy outs for Dean Kramer. Now he did have the good movement Mm -hmm. on it, but you've got some great hitters in this Blue Jays offense that just looked like they weren't able to get comfortable in the batter's box against him. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's been, look, it's been puzzling all year long. And really, other than Bo and Whit Merrifield, I mean, I would suggest just, and I guess Brandon Belt, I would I would suggest that just about everybody uh, at one time or another has looked just, has looked lost at the plate. And I guess we could put Dalton Varsho in there as well, though he's certainly shown some signs of life, uh, some signs of life lately. We also saw Yenesis Cabrera last night, and I've, He's an intriguing guy to me because we know that he was a pitcher that at one point the St. Louis Cardinals had pretty high hopes for. We assume now everybody says that he was a change of scenery guy. Things weren't going well with St. Louis. He's over here now. Chad Green is going to join this team at some point. How do you think John Schneider and Pete Walker utilize Yenesis Cabrera? Because they've got Tim Mesa. As their lefty, Trevor Richards change up that, you know, last night, notwithstanding that plays against lefties, Eric Swanson, that plays against lefties. And then, then you have Yenesis Cabrera. How do you see John Schneider using him? I still like the idea of having another lefty in that bullpen, even though you've got some right-handed pitchers that you said play well against the lefty batters. There's something about having a completely different look coming from the other side that I still like having an additional arm Mm -hmm. in the bullpen. And I do think we've seen a lot more consistency out of Cabrera than what we saw from him previously early in the year, which is definitely a sign... uh, a positive sign moving forward. And when you're bringing in somebody late in the game, you want to be able to count on the fact that they're going to throw the ball in the strike zone. And I think that Cabrera has proven that he's been able to do that throughout this season. You've heard John Schneider talk about how he loves looking at the matchups and playing specific matchups. And for that reason in particular, I still think that Yenesis Cabrera has a big role in this bullpen specifically with the way that he's obviously coming from the left side and it allows John Schneider to have that second lefty arm that he can utilize against lefties in a lineup. Jordan Hicks, how do you see him being used ultimately when everything's here, when Chad Green's here and everything's settled in? um, I mean, we've seen, it's funny because he was 
obviously more highly touted than Yenis' Cabrera, but I would suggest in some ways Cabrera has been a little more consistent than Jordan Hicks. Jordan Hicks, I, I, you know, you've got to enjoy the ride with him because <laughs> it is it, – it's like a freak show. It's it really electric. Is. You might not know where it's going to go. Exactly. He might not know where it's going to go. And the, the catchers back there are definitely working when he's out there on the mound. But the, you, you can't replace the velocity right. that he brings. And I look at – and I talked about it a little last night – when you put together a bullpen, you want to be able to look at their strongest pitches, their best pitches, and have them complement the other pitchers in that bullpen. And when you bring in, I mean, of course, you've got Romano that's going to bring the mm-hmm. high velocity. But when you're touching triple digits on a consistent basis, that's such an extreme adjustment for opposing hitters to have to adjust to, mm-hmm. especially after seeing some of the other guys that come in. And we were just talking about Yenises Cabrera. You bring in him, and then you bring in Jordan Hicks right after that. Not a lot of time for the opposing batters to try to make swing adjustments and such a drastic adjustment on that speed. So I like being able to bring in somebody that's going to throw 100, 101 to try to blow it past people, um, especially in some of those high leverage situations. Now, the risk is he is going to throw the ball a little bit all over the place, but you've got some pretty uh, good catchers back there that have been able to show that they can keep some of those pitches in front too. What was it? uh, A couple of appearances ago for... Jordan Hicks, where Danny Jansen yeah. had that incredible block um, that we ended up talking about on the show, too. And, and that he was something. He should have got credit for the save, he, I yeah, think, that it was night. He was really good. Unreal, unreal. Uh, the A little bit of news today from the Blue Jays. We do have, I don't know if he'd call it an Alec Manoa sighting, but the Jays have said that Alec Manoa is going down to AAA. He hasn't been with the team. He's been left at home in Toronto. The Jays have also said that uh, they were getting a quad issue and a lower back issue uh, looked at and they wanted to get that cleared up before they optioned him out. Um, so now Alec Manoa will go down and pitch in, 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 in Buffalo. I mean, I don't know how you feel, Madison, but I've, I've kind of, I'm almost at the point now where I've been at the point, this point for about a month and a half where I just want Alec Manoa to be good next spring training. I'm, I'm not even counting on him for this year. If I have an issue with one of my starting pitchers, I'm probably going to go with with Bowden Francis right away. Yeah, the the bullpen combination that we saw really earlier in the year between Francis and even Trevor Richards Richards, can throw some length. We've seen that before, too. Uh, It was uh, interesting that it just has taken several days for him to get down to that point. Um, And, of course, you hope that he's healthy. Um, But for for him, I'm with you. I'm I'm kind of on the same page, too. You kind of look at it as this season, obviously – probably worst case scenario for him. And you've almost got to just completely go back to ground zero and try to build things back up, which is what they tried to do in the middle of the season. But there always still is that looming uh, sense of urgency to try to get back up to the big leagues. But when you have an entire off season to try to break things down all the way down to square one and build them back up, that's where I think you could see some improvements from Alec Manoa, but who knows, maybe he goes back down there and, figures out something. Hopefully everything, of course, uh, went well with the the testing and all that that they did to get him back down there. And, and maybe he does have another opportunity to come up later in this season. But for him, it's all just about working and trying to be efficient with his pitches, especially uh, closing out those at-bats. Yeah. He would get to two strikes and just was not able to get the movement to, to finish out those batters. Um, so, so many foul balls and eventually hitters would just find a way to get hits off of him. Yeah, that, and I mean, that, that, that I think is the biggest concern about Alec Manoa. You know, it, I mean, I understand that, you know, the Jays have said that they'll, they'll you know, we'll, we'll see what happens at AAA, but, you know, I'm looking at the schedule. They... 
it's not like there's a game where you say, oh, this is a perfect time to bring Alec Manoa up and let him go because they, you've got to win games. You've got to win as many games as you can. If this was May, then maybe I'm going, okay, maybe you, you have a little more uh, runway. But, yeah, I'm just hoping that they let him just finish out the season at AAA um, and then try to get him ready for next year. That's that would make because he's still look. This team is paying a is is going to be paying a lot of money to its starting pitchers next year. It's going to be paying a lot of money to its position players. They they need a guy to be effective cheaply or cost cost effective be cost effective. And to me, Manoa Manoa can still be that guy. He did show flashes of it too when he came back up. I, I thought there there were times yeah. where the slider in particular looked like it had really good break on it. Just it, we didn't see it as consistently as we saw it from him last season. So it's still there. It's just a matter of him being able to get back to the the point of the the confidence that he had on mm-hmm. the mound last year too, which it's not easy to have when you're you've got opponents that are putting up the amount of runs that they did on him this season. But I'm hoping that. Maybe uh, over the course of a couple of months, he can get some of that confidence back because I do think that was a big factor in his success last season when he was out there on the mound. Madison, really good of you to join us today. Thanks so much. Yeah, I enjoyed thanks for this. Having me. Madison Shipman, you can uh, catch her on Blue Jay Central. You're also doing a, you're going to do a little more radio. Are a little you radio, yep. A radio, radio for this next coming series. Against the Cleveland Guardians. Yep. Perfect. Thanks yep. for doing this. Yeah, thank you. We will go to Baltimore next. Dan Shulman will join us. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Sportsnet radio network, and Sportsnet. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, with our AAA team, reported there today, and um, getting him back kind of ramped up. You know, wanted to make sure that everything was fine physically, and I think because of the time uh, that he did miss, just being thoughtful about how we kind of do that. He's been active, um, you know, not off the mound per se. Um, so I want to just, again, you be in touch with him and, and be mindful of, of the kind of little bit of a layoff that he did have and, until we have a, you know, a, a firm plan set in place. Casey and the staff down there and, and kind of um, do whatever we think is best for him. That's John Schneider, manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, a few minutes ago talking about Alec Manoa. Alec Manoa joining the AAA Buffalo Bison. It's kind of been, uh, there's almost been like a cone of silence around Alec Manoa in this organization. Uh, he was optioned a while ago, didn't go down to Baltimore or to, uh, to, to Buffalo. Uh, we're led to believe that there were back and quad issues that needed diagnosing first. But uh, Alec Manoa now with the AAA Bisons. And um, let's see, let's hope, let's hope that the Jays and the Bisons can get him into some sort of routine because, uh, again, at this point, I just, I, I want Alec Manoa. It'd be great to see him finish the year strong. Great to see Alec Manoa good to go at the start of next year. I just, I, it, it, the Blue Jays have too much to do right now at the major league level, frankly, to uh, to have to worry about nursing Alec Manoa through whatever it is that is uh, bothering him. 7.05 will be the first pitch tonight. It'll be Jose Barrios on the mound for the Blue Jays. Kyle Gibson for 
the Baltimore Orioles. A lot of games already concluded. Uh, games with obvious ramifications for the Blue Jays in the wild card race. I guess the Red Sox 17 to 1 win over Houston is good in that the Jays are chasing the Astros. Basically, it's going to come down to Houston, Texas, Toronto, and Boston, and Seattle are going to be the five teams that are that are vying for this thing. And one of those teams will obviously win the West, but there's going to be a log jam between those five teams. Uh, and the Boston Red Sox beat the Houston Astros 17-1 to today. So it would be great if the Blue Jays win tonight. Uh, they could get gain some ground on Houston. Uh, Tampa Bay beat Colorado 5-3. You know, I, I think I spent the last two weeks saying this is it for Tampa Bay. This is it. They're done. Shane McClanahan's hurt. Wander Franco isn't going to be around. Uh, they're done. This is it. You know, it's not with Tampa Bay. You'd think I would have learned that by now. The Rays winning 5-3. And the New York Yankees, I mean, Aaron judges had a great couple of days. The Yankees have only won one of those games, though, losing 6-5 to the Washington Nationals tonight. So going into tonight's game between the Orioles and the Jays, the wild card standings are as follows. Uh, Tampa Bay is 78 and 51. They've got a six game lead top the wild card. Seattle is 71 and 56. Houston is 72 and 57. Toronto is 70 and 57. The uh, Astros have played Two more games than the Jays. They have two more wins. Seattle is uh, got a game in hand on the Blue Jays in the loss column. I should say they're one ahead of the Blue Jays in the loss column. Boston is 68 and 60. They're three and a half back of that wild card spot. Uh, two and a half back of the Blue Jays. And Boston's got another game against Houston coming up. Uh, and... Uh, I believe they have another game against Houston coming up. Of course, we already talked about Toronto. They'll play the Orioles tonight. Then they're home to take on the Cleveland Guardians and the Washington Nationals. And the schedule gets easier from that point on uh, after tonight for the Blue Jays. But, you know, stop me if you've heard me say that to you before. Uh, I don't know if at this point in time. You really look at the easiness or the difficulty of the schedule. You simply go out and try to win as many games as possible and in the very least win as many win as many series as possible. The lineup is out for the Blue Jays. And uh, I had it here a minute ago. Patience. The lineup is Whit Merrifield and left, Bo Bichette at short, Brandon Bell at first. Vladdy Jr. gets the day off in the field. He will DH. George Springer's in right. Dalton Varsho is in center. Matt Chapman is at third base. Danny Jansen behind the plate. And Cavan uh, Biggio gets the start at second base against the right-hander, Kyle Gibson. Uh, no Kevin Kiermeyer in the lineup. Seen any update in that. Uh, could just be a scheduled day off. Maybe we'll find out. Dan Schulman joins us in a few minutes. Uh, six o'clock, John Morosi will join us. Obviously, more conversation about Shohei Otani. Will Carroll at 6.30. Uh, he is an injury expert and um, specializes in, in writing about medical issues as it pertains to professional athletes, athletes in general. He'll join us at 6.30. We'll take a deeper dive into the UCL injury suffered by uh, Shohei Otani. 
second injury. He's had Tommy John surgery already for the UCL. He's going to play with it. Um, and uh, we shall see how Will uh, sees that developing. Uh, but it's time right now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Jeff has a party as we await Dan Schulman. Uh, you've got some action for us. I do, Jeff, and I'm ready for you this time. I apologize. Yesterday I had some technical difficulties. Didn't hey. hear you, and I talked technical over you. I mean, I know it's you're used like to you've it. Never with done the job before. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's an excuse. No, I'm just used to people talking over you. I get it. You're you're okay with it. Yeah. Anyways, what we've been doing all week on this uh, in the segment, we look at the hot hand. One of those is uh, Adley Rushman. We'll go total bases for Adley Rushman. Set out one and a half. Then do two well last night. He only went one for three with a couple strikeouts. But what do, what do you think about Adley Rushman uh, over one and a half or over or under one and a half? First of all, is he in the lineup today because you asked me something about Julio Rodriguez. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, see, I'm going to be, I'm really, I'm really optimistic about Jose Barrios in the start. And I'm going to take the, uh, I'm going to take the under with Adley Rushman. I'm going to take the under. That is pretty 177. I'm going to take the under with Adley Rush. He's been Absolutely. raking lately. His slash lines against the Jays, 296, 356, 426. So he's hitting close to 300 against 11 teams, which is pretty crazy. He does uh, do well, too, against Jose Barrios, right? He's, what is he, 8 for 13, 4 extra base hits. Crazy. And a 1.667 OPS. But and he's I'm, gone I'm, over on this prop five of the last six nights. And six of the last eight. So, uh, oh, I don't really? know, changing your mind? See? Uh, man. You know, I, I'm, I I hate it when you, you like, burst my optimistic balloon. Um, I'm not used to you being optimistic. Well, this, That's the problem. Well, this, this is true. No, I'm going to stick with it. What the hell? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with it. I've got to... I know this drives Barker nuts because Barker would have done, like, you know, half an hour's worth of research on this and found out that Adley Rushman's worst day at the He's plate. He's slowly becoming a khaki, that guy. He, well, he is. He is becoming a khaki. Yeah. But no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the under. I'm, okay. I'm going to take the under. I'm going to be a homer. I'm going to go with my gut here. I'm going to so, take the under. So as we've been doing this week, I'll throw a second one at you because you, you were talking about Jose uh, Barrios. Yes. Strikeouts thrown. Now he's only had th- he's had three strikeouts in two of his last five starts. So uh, the good thing about Bet Rivers is they have different odds where you can bet uh, over or under three and a half strikeouts, four and a half strikeouts, five and a half strikeouts. So let's go four and a half strikeouts. Let's see, would you go over or under that for Barrios tonight? Jose Barrios is a better pitcher at home than he is on the road. Um, yep. This seems sort of counterintuitive because I've taken Adley Rushman. I- I'm going to take I'm going to take the under. I'm going to take the under in this. You see where I'm going at here? It's going to be. I'm, I'm going to take the under. The Jays to actually win a series against Baltimore. Is and, that what and, we're going? And Barrios is just it, just going to be okay. But I'm going to take the under. Okay. And last thing I'll plug under. for Bet Rivers is uh, fans should go check out. There's a bunch of same game parlay quick picks, and uh, you can go check those out on their site or on the app. That was between the lines. Brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Odd that I feel that optimistic, but you know, maybe. Hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to say this. I don't often do this in shows. It's my 38th wedding anniversary. So uh, there you go. Shout out to my wife, Shelly, for hanging around with me for 38 years. I'm sure if Barker was on here, he'd, he'd have something pithy to say, like, I can't handle 38 days. Can't imagine how she can handle 38 years. But there you go. That's a Shelley's long time. Shelly's the MVP in that. That's really a long time, eh? Yeah, it Being is. married? It is. really is. You don't hear that's, it too much anymore. No. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, that's a long time, though. 
Now that I think about it, that's a real... I should, let's just move on. Let's just move on. Let's just move on. Do we have Dan Shulman yet? We're going to get Dan Shulman from Baltimore. So the good news is the weather looks like it's going to be okay. As I said a little earlier in the day, we thought it was... <laughs> Uh, we thought that there might be, uh, it might look a little dicey. And I started looking ahead to the schedule and finding out common off days, which I believe were September 7th. I think Shoali helped me with this. I think we came up with September uh, September 7th as a common off day for both both teams. And I think the 25th as well. So if there is a rain out tonight, there is a way of making up that game. And I would think you'd probably want to make up the game. I would think you'd probably want to make up the game, obviously, because it's clearly going to have an impact. Uh, an impact on the standings, but it does seem uh, as if the weather, the inclement weather moving through Baltimore will in fact do that. It will move through Baltimore. It won't settle over Baltimore. Um, Although having spent many a summer night at Camden Yards, far too many summer nights at Camden Yards as a visiting writer, I just, it's a good idea to almost, almost assume the worst when it comes to summer weather in Baltimore. But uh yeah, as as of right now it looks like uh it looks like it'll be it looks like it'll be a go ahead. And again, 705 is the scheduled first pitch Jose Barrios against Kyle Gibson. Kyle Gibson was not originally scheduled to start this series, but the Orioles had to make a change after Jack Flaherty uh complained of well, he just arm fatigue. After a side session, he was scheduled to be the starter yesterday. So uh, Jack Flaherty's been pushed back to a TBA. Uh, Dean Kramer made the start for the Blue Jays or for the Orioles yesterday against the Blue Jays. I, I cannot imagine that it would have gone any better for the Orioles had Jack Flaherty made the start. But as a result of that, Dean Kramer, who was supposed to be today's starter, uh, will now be replaced by Kyle Gibson. Let's go to Dan Shulman, the voice of the Blue Jays, who is in lovely Camden Yards. Danny, before we uh, hit you with questions about Alec Minot and things like that, uh, weather for tonight, we're looking good? Uh, we're looking okay. Uh, I haven't been on my app lately, but uh, somebody down at the dugout told me later on tonight it could get a little mucky about 10 o'clock, so hopefully one way or another it's done by then. Pitch fast, right? Pitch fast, work yeah. fast, get it in. Work work fast. I got a basketball game to call tomorrow morning. We got to get home, my man. No, I was going to say, yeah, you've got the FIBA, you've got the the World Cup coming up. That that's uh that's that's a lot of that's a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good news is um, I'm not preparing for 32 countries because there are only three others in Canada's pool, so you take those as they come and then you you worry about it from there. But I I'm really excited and and uh yeah, the last three days, I haven't had as much uh, walk around the Inner Harbor time in Baltimore because I've been uh, working on two things, but I'm very excited. Can't wait. So we got, yeah, we got Canada-France tomorrow morning, which is a huge game. That's and a big one right the out the gate. Uh, that's a huge one. Uh, enormous, enormous, enormous. And then uh, the Jays and the Guardians tomorrow night. Uh John Schneider mentioned in his pregame availability that Alec Manoa is uh, with the Buffalo Bisons. Now, they've been, I, I called it a cone of silence around Alec Manoa. That is probably unfair because that kind of that suggests that there was some, you know, they had him hooked up to some Frank, Dr. Frankenstein thing and were trying to reinvent him or something. But um, realistically, Danny, what, what are the Jays, what do they want from Alec Manoa in the next six weeks? Are we at the point where just you know, get into routine and 
you know, let's talk about 2024, or do they think that he could have an impact in 23? Well, I think until two weeks ago, you know, normally when you send down a starting pitcher, he kind of becomes your de facto number six guy, right? He's the guy who, if somebody takes a comeback or off the knee, he comes back. I don't know that that's the case anymore with Manoa not having thrown for two weeks. I mean, John Schneider talked about getting him on a mound, ramping him up, uh, rough outline, but no schedule in place yet. So, I mean, I think you know how it is, especially if a team goes into the postseason, you want to have a plan B, C, D, E, because if somebody gets hurt, you need somebody else. Right now, I think Bowden Francis is that guy. Um, it's hard to speculate because we don't know why this didn't happen two weeks ago, right? So I, I you know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be rolling out theories because I don't have any idea what the situation is. But um, I, I think they want to get him ramped up again, and and whatever the issues are, like uh, if it's mechanics, and you know, give him a head start on next year. But I think there's still an outside chance you might need him this year if you need a guy with length and another starting pitcher got hurt. And who knows? You know, baseball happens, right, as you know as well as I do. So, But beyond that, honestly, I'm in, I'm in the dark like everybody else. So there has been very, very, very little said, and the little that has been said has been said in very general terms. So we only know, you know, what, what's been passed along, which is he's reported and they're going to start a throwing program at some point. You know, it seems like every time the Blue Jays have a game or a series where you see the the the, the outline of a team approach at the plate or a successful approach at the plate, a game comes along and they get shut down. And I, I, I wonder from what you saw last night, um, we had Madison Shipman in here and I asked her this question. I'd like to ask you the question as well. How much of what we saw last night was just Dean Kramer being very effective, especially up in the zone or how much of it was the blue Jays kind of, you know, becoming that team again that we seen all too often. this year. I mean, there are some nights when we see that team, it feels like there's a lot of chasing um, and, you know, a lot of missed opportunities. Last night wasn't that night. They had one runner in scoring position the whole game and it was in, it was in the first inning. Right. So, it wasn't one of those nights where you said, why is so-and-so swinging at that? Or, uh, you know, you know what I mean? So last night they just didn't get anything going. So it was almost in another category. Like it was just one of those games where it was like, man, nothing, nothing is happening. A single here and a single there. So I do think you've got to get, give some credit to the Orioles, but this continues to be a team that is perplexing uh, offensively because, um, you know, you look at the names and they, they should be better than this. But and, and I don't think anybody's asking or demanding or expecting greatness, uh, you know, top five offense or something like that. But uh, I think they've been shut out eight times now in the last two and a half months or something like that. And, and, you know, 10 runs on Sunday, that was great. Six runs in the win on Tuesday night here, that was really good. And then one of those nights last night. So, uh, I mean, again, baseball is a weird sport. You just never know. I'm interested in tonight even more than last night because Kyle Gibson is not an overpowering guy. Like, mm-hmm. uh, Dean Kramer throws harder than him. Kyle Gibson is really a hit-my-spots guy. You can get yourself out against Kyle Gibson, but if you do have an approach, he can he can be dealt with. But he has gotten he has handled the Jays twice very well this year, which is a concern. Um, you know, they need to be hitting guys like Kyle Gibson. Other teams are hitting Kyle Gibson. He's got a 497 ERA. But against the Blue Jays, he's only allowed two runs in 13 innings. So 
you know, let, let's check back on that tomorrow. But I'm really interested to see what they look like tonight. Um, this is a night where you can't chase and you've got to have a plan and stick to that plan, no matter what the situation is, whatever that means for each individual hitter. So hopefully we'll see that tonight. You and Joe had a, had a really good conversation last night about Yenesis Cabrera. And I, I find him, he, he intrigues me because... It's just you watch him pitch, and you guys made the point. It's got to be an uncomfortable at bat. Just the way he yeah. throws the ball. It's got it. It, it just looks. It's, it's got to be uncomfortable to stand in there against him. When 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 Chad Green is here, and when the bullpens are all lined up, you know, and hopefully everybody's healthy. How do you see John Schneider utilizing him? Because he's been really consistent for this team. Yeah, I, I think it can be, you know, Cabrera in the sixth inning, Mesa in the eighth. If you're mm-hmm. playing Boston and you've got Devers and Verdugo to worry about, um, you can have two lefties. You know, if your starter goes five and a third and then Verdugo's next and Devers is two spots behind him, you can go to Cabrera in the sixth and then you can go to Mesa in the eighth when that spot comes up again. Or, uh, and, and this part's a luxury, if you only need one of them, then the other guy does it the next day. So nobody's throwing twice in a row or three times in a row. You're not pushing anybody too hard. It's kind of the way I feel since Jordan Hicks has shown up too. You know, one night it can be uh, Mesa to Swanson to Romano. And one night it could be Cabrera to Hicks to Romano or something like that. So the the bullpen is the least of their problems right now. And, you, you know, you feel bad for Trevor Richards, who's had a great year and just everything unraveled last night. But, you know, he's a part of this, too. Jimmy Garcia earlier in games against right-handed batters, he's still a part of it, and hopefully Chad Green as well. But I think Cabrera gives them a guy who, if he keeps throwing strikes like he has been throwing since he came to the Blue Jays, that's a guy you can envision getting big outs in a playoff game if this team were to get to the playoffs. 97-mile-an-hour fastball, 90-mile-an-hour slider. That's no joke. This is, this is big league stuff. He just wasn't able to control it very well in St. Louis, but he's done a great job of that so far. Yeah, and uh, as both you and Joe pointed out, this is a guy who's under control for a couple of years. I mean, to me, that yeah. was a sneaky good pickup. It was a sneaky oh, yeah. good pickup. And and um, you, you know, again, if he can, if he can, if he can keep keep it under control, he he could be a not just for this year, but he could be a significant significant performer for this team for another couple of years down the road because that that stuff is always you know as long as he stays healthy uh it it's uh it's always going to play um so you've seen the uh you, obviously you've seen the Orioles a lot this year you've seen them now for the past couple of games um they're not they may win this division right I mean yeah. I, I, I they may win this division I I, I don't know I, I think a lot of people probably wait stopped waiting for the wheels to fall off I mean they've got they might be getting a little deeper with their pitching with Tyler Wells and DL Hall and John means getting back but they're a good team aren't they oh yeah uh, and, and one thing you know as I sit down and do my prep each time they put the Blue Jays play them in a series or just watching them you know how many star players do they have um, Bautista to me is a star closer. I don't know if you call a, a reliever a star, but he's a star closer. Adley Rutschman and Gunnar Henderson are very good players. I don't know that they're stars yet. I think they're both going to be maybe mm-hmm. superstars, but they're both very good young players right now. To me, the success of the Orioles is not their ceiling. It's how much they've raised their floor. I, I mean, the Blue Great Jays point. would come in here two years ago, and the pitching was historically bad they don't have bad players anymore. Like they may not have superstars, but they don't have bad players. The, 
you know, you know, if you look at the OPSs or OPS plus, whatever you want to use of all the hitters in their lineup, um, 100 is average. They got a couple of guys at 96, and everybody else is like 110, 120, 125. There's nobody at 150 or anything like that, but everybody contributes down in the order. Cedric Mullins is hitting seventh on this team right now, right? Because they've got Rutschman and Henderson up at the top of the order. And Ryan O'Hearn's having a good year. And they can bring Adam Frazier into the lineup and take uh, Mateo out of the lineup or Westberg out of the lineup or however they want to play it. They Their depth is, is, is impressive. I think they're, you know, 15th, 18th, 22nd guy on the roster. They're all, they're all pretty good. And they're starting pitching too. Again, there are no stars. Like, who's the game one starter for this team? Gibson? Bradish? Kramer? Rodriguez? Like, nobody knows. Even here, it's a fun game. That Oriole uh, media play is guess the playoff rotation because there's no automatic. So maybe they can't match up with the other team's number one, but their three, four, five is pretty good, you know? So um, I, I think that's really the strength. I also think they're confident. They put pressure on you. They grind out at bats. They foul off a lot of pitches. They're uh, opportunistic on the bases. They're pretty good defensively. They're just a good, solid all-round team from from what I can see. And, and listen, 126 games into the season, you can be a fluke in May. I don't think you can be a fluke on August the 24th. Like they're playing in the toughest division in baseball, and they're 30 games over 500. They're yeah. good. Danny, we appreciate your time as always, my friend. Uh, look forward to your call tonight. Look forward to your calls in the next couple of days yeah. as well. And, uh, you know, keep, I don't know, is chamomile tea? What's the secret to, to keeping it together? Uh, maybe a Hall's lozenge. I, I, I got some Hall's with me, but I, I'm okay. I've been lucky. I don't have to, uh, I don't have to do, I don't have to deal with that very often. So, you know, unless a baseball game goes 14 innings or a basketball game goes quadruple overtime, I think we'll be okay. All righty. Look forward to it, Dan. Thanks All for right. doing this. Safe travels, my friend. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. That's Dan Shulman, voice of the Blue Jays, who will be doing double duty because the FIBA men's uh, uh, World Cup World Championship starts tomorrow. Dan will have the call of the game. And Dan is absolutely right. I do not do not be one of those people who looks at it and goes, come on, France, basketball, it, international basketball is its own animal. And uh, Canada's first game against France is a, is a big test. And a win for the Canadian team would really line things up, really line things up nicely for them. Uh, we got a little bit of time. Let's squeeze in a call from the back leg line, 416-413-3959. You know it. By now, off by heart, that is the back leg line. Your chance to leave questions or comments for myself, Kevin Barker, when he's here. And yes, the mayor of Back Lake City will be back on Monday, I have been told. So rest easy, uh, put the pitchforks away, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Wayne in Nova Scotia. Uh, with everything that's happened with Shohei Otani in the last uh, 24 hours, with him injuring himself and whatnot, and the big supposed free agent payday that's coming up, I just had a couple of... Uh, couple of uh, foods for thought, I guess. I wanted to bring up the fact that a lot of people seem to evaluate Otani as if he is a position player and a pitcher, and a lot of people don't really realize the fact that he's actually just a DH and a pitcher. So I think that if you're going to pay him, you need to pay him as a DH and a pitcher. A lot of people are saying he's worth his, what two players are worth. They like to say like a Mike Trout and a, and a Max Scherzer. I just don't think that's the case. I think he's more along the lines of a Nelson Cruz and a, say, uh, Clayton Kershaw, given the fact that he only makes about 20 to 25 starts a year, and he's only a DH and he doesn't take the field. I think some teams are going to line up to pay him about $60 million a year based on the fact about $30 million per each you know, player that he is. 
but I think that that number should really be about $40 million. Um, and with the current injury, that may take it down even less than that. Curious to see what you guys think. Um, have a good one, guys. And uh, I listen every day. You guys have a great show. Keep up the good work. Thank Bye. you, Wayne. Uh, Ken Rosenthal addressed this situation. I, th- I think Kenny's still right. I think someone will still give him uh, half a billion dollars in the free agent market. Where it's going to get interesting is how you structure his contract. Like I can, I can envision, like, let's put it this way. The question about Shohei Otani, the lingering health questions about Shohei Otani were always going to be about his pitching there. I, I don't think, you know, he could break his leg or tear a knee running the bases or something like that. But by and large, the questions have, have always been, it's never been, when does he stop hitting and continue pitching? It's always been, when does he stop pitching and continue hitting? So what I think is going to happen is I think you're going to see somebody re-sign him and basically load the contract up with a crap ton of bonuses for pitching and, and realistic bonuses. I'm not saying, you know, 35 complete games and you'll get an extra $5 million. I'm, I'm saying a bonus structure that starts at 10 starts, 20 starts, 25, however you want to work it. Something that guarantees him a lot of money as an everyday player and then gives him some wiggle room with the number of pitching appearances he makes. But I, so I think what you may see, you may see him sign a contract worth $500 million if most of those relatively achievable thresholds as a pitcher are reached. Where it gets complicated is when you bring Shohei Otani in, even healthy, you've got to change everything your organization does. You've got to change what your other starting pitchers do. And and that's where it gets complicated. The investment in Shohei Otani isn't just the investment you're making in his salary. It's the investment you're going to have to make around that as well. And the trickle-down effect that that has. Now, the flip side of that, of course, is one of the big trickle-down effects is you're going to sell an awful lot of merchandise, which is going to make up for that. But it's an interesting question, so interesting that we're going to spend the next hour talking about it. John Paul Morosi joins us, Will Carroll as well. Don't go anywhere. It's Blair and kind of Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, the fan, the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet. 